Hello and welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. This week we're joined on the podcast by assistant manager Anthony Griffith. He celebrated his birthday on Saturday as Congleton Town won 2-1 against Aviston Town to extend their lead at the top of the table. That's ahead of a top-of-the-table clash this Saturday when the Bears travel to second place Highgate United. But first, let's take you back six years ago to November 2017. Theresa May was Prime Minister, Chelsea were the reigning Premier League champions and Anthony Griffith first joined Congleton Town. If the first two are anything to go by, then a lot can certainly happen and change in six years. But Griffiths' passion for the club certainly hasn't. First signing as a player, he then transitioned into roles as first-team coach, joint manager, and now his current role of assistant manager. So first of all, Griff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. And also a big happy birthday as well for, for last Saturday. Was three points the perfect present? It was indeed. Um, we are just speaking off air there and just alluding to um, the fact of that performances. You know, recently performance hadn't been quite there, but it, it's testament to the players that they can actually perform, you know, not 100%, but then come away with the results as well. So, you know, if we can just tidy up on them sort of performances where we are sort of being more dominant throughout games because we do have the prowess to keep clean sheets and be ruthless at the other end as well. But for me and Duffs, I think we want players to be more ruthless, especially in front of goal, because I think there's been some golden opportunities for us to score goals within our front line. But for whatever reason, I mean, I, I think their keeper on Saturday was uh, outstanding. Uh, pulled off some fantastic saves. But yeah, I think performance-wise, we just need to get back to doing what we do best and and and, and that's dominating possession and, and territory on uh, during the game. And we'll talk more about Congleton's season so far later in the podcast. And actually, Griff, it's actually six years this month um, since you first joined Congleton Town. Can, can you believe how long it's been? Yeah, it feels like an eternity ago since I actually was on Congleton's pitch playing games. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a strange process getting there, to be honest. And I want to try and give Chris Rowley a bit of credit as well, because, you know, he worked really hard to try and uh, get, get me in. And once I was there, you know, I sort of just gave everything I had for a couple of seasons. And then I think once you've come down the leagues and, and you play to a certain level and, and Congleton was a good standard and played with some good players, but you sort of know when enough is enough because I don't want to be a player that sort of gets embarrassed for for, for going out there and, and hindering the team rather than helping the team. So, listen, I've got a lot to give in terms of coaching um, and giving advice to younger players because I think that's the next best thing besides playing. And if you have got that knowledge about the game, especially people in and around your position and you can help them, then then great. I mean, that's why we're here at the end of the day, uh, no matter whether you're just a parent or, you know, you're a manager, you, you, you're still just a helper to the, to those that haven't got that knowledge and experience. So let's start with your playing career. So where did it all start for you? Were you part of an academy? I did come through an academy. Um, to start with, I was at Halifax Town, went through their sort of system. And that's quite local to me where I'm from, Huddersfield. So that, that was a good eye-opener in terms of football. And then this lovely bloke, as I said about being a helper, he's always been sort of a, a sort of role model for me growing up. And he, he sort of guided me through. And his name's Brian. He really helped me. And, you know, I didn't know him from Adam, to be honest. 
literally met him in a train station. He asked me about football. We got talking and then he, he, he sort of went out of his way and done what he can to try and get me signed up for a professional side. And that, and that side was Doncaster Rovers. So that's how, how it happened. Literally a conversation in a train station. Literally, yeah. Literally. And we've been friends ever since. I mean, he's probably what... He's probably near on 70 now and, you know, and that's just me as a person. I still ring him and I still speak to him now and he still gives me advice. He still tells me off um, and all I can do is listen because for what it's worth, you know, I, I didn't really grow up with a dad. And I think for kids out there to know how important that is, it, it's massive, especially when you want to try and strive and become something um, successful. It's really, really important that, you know, you have got that role model and father figure around because, you want to look up to somebody, but I did it the unorthodox way. And this guy took me in and looked after me. I even stayed there when I was trialing at Doncaster. I don't even know if my mum know where I was, but I was on a mission to try and just, yeah, just become a footballer. So I went out the way and lived in Castleford, which, you know, it's not close to Huddersfield, but it's close enough. And just went on this crazy journey when my mum didn't see me for a good year or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people won't know that story, but, you know, I, I went the unorthodox route. And I tell this story many, many times about being at Doncaster. And I know sort of people don't want to hear the sort of trials and tribulations about race and the struggles that people have been through. But, you know, being the only black kid in the youth team, I'm not around friends. That was a massive sacrifice for me, you know, having to sort of leave friendships to try and achieve this goal that I wanted to do. You know, it was a mission that I wanted to do and I, and I sort of achieved that. But lots of sacrifice. Like I said, I was the only kid there, the black kid there. There were a lot of kids who tried to intimidate me. But do you know what? In the end, I just said, you know, what, I'm just going to rise above everything. Every week, their parents would be there watching them and people would look around and think, oh, well, this kid's parents not here. Who's looking after this kid? Who's, who's looking after this kid? And I just sort of, you know, played the games, trained all week and then just went back home on, on the weekends and then, and then come back, done it again on Monday. So it was a bit like a process of being in the army, really, for me, because I was like dead headstrong and just focused on this on this goal, on this mission. And I've got to pay a little tribute to the manager at Doncaster at the time and, 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 and the assistant because they were really good and they understood the circumstances of me not really having you know the family around if you like because my mum was really ill dad not around as I said so it was only me and this bloke called Brian yeah so it was a strange a strange, a strange process but we got there in the end. And when you did get there as you mentioned your first professional club was Doncaster Rovers what was that moment like for you what did it mean to you to finally get there? It was massive, absolutely massive. I mean, I, you know, in and around sort of the first team of Doncaster at a, a really young age. Um, and I just say, not really being in an academy from a young age. So that meant you was quite raw, you, you was quite new to it all. But I still am now, I'm a sponge. I'm a sponge to everything. I, I really want to learn as much as I can and try and pass that knowledge on to whether it's kids that I'm coaching or my own kids, because I think there's so much knowledge out there for you to sort of lap up that it's important that you try and share that if if, if you have got that uh, that knowledge yeah and during your time at Doncaster you had a few loan spells including at Darlington uh, Stafford Rangers and, and Halifax Town there's obviously a lot of talk about players going out on loan and perhaps one of the most talked about examples is Harry Kane and his many loan spells before he made the break into the Tottenham first team how beneficial are loan spells for players, particularly at the start of their career? 
Yeah, I mean, you can see it one or two ways, really. You can often players see it as a tool that the club uses to get you out of the club, but it made no difference to me because I said at the end of the day, I've got a mission and I want to try and become a footballer. And it didn't matter whether I was at Doncaster or Stafford Rangers, to be honest. I just wanted to go out there and improve my worth and earn some money as well because the background I'm from wasn't really you know, desirable for anybody, really. So I wanted to go out there and earn some money and try and see if I could just try and help my family as well because I think that's the sort of mature way of looking at it from a from a young age. I had that mindset and, yeah, I managed to achieve that, really. So, I'm, I'm you know, I never really look back and I never really think, oh, well, you know, you did this really well, but it was just a mission. And I think if I've achieved that mission, great. What's the next one? What's the next one? It sounds as though you never kind of envisaged your life without playing football. I absolutely adore football. I love football. And as I said, it was a platform for me to go and help other people. So I guess you can say, if you look at it and listen, that that's my sort of remit, that I actually want to just help people. So as I said, the the football mission was, right, okay, can I do this to go and help my family? Great, done that. I played football for a living, which is great. But can I actually go and use that to help people, whether it be kids, whether it you know, my own kids, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's just me in a nutshell, really. Then you made the move to Port Vale. This was 2008. What are some of your memories of that first spell at Vale Park? And actually, in your first year, you played as a right-back, whereas most people will know you as a central midfielder. Was that because of your love for the game and you were happy to kind of kind of adapt to whatever the team kind of need, needed you at the time? Yeah, I mean, which it strangely came about. I think it was an injury that came about. But again, like I said, I was I was a sponge to it, and I and I said, well, listen, I just want to be in the team so I can I can play. I think at the time when I when I joined, there was you know better midfielders that you could say that were playing in 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 the central midfield. So I said, okay, well, how do I get into the team? Injury popped up, so I played right back, and that and that was fine. Um, and I don't think it was till Mickey Adams came in, I started really saying, right, I want to make this position my own, being the central midfield, because that's what I was accustomed to on the sort of beginning of the journey at Doncaster. And that's what me and Brian spoke about. How do we nail down a position, make it your own? And I can remember being in his house and, you know, I'd, I'd be reading books of Roy Keane. I really, I really admired him. I really admired Stuart Pearce. Um, and I know he was a fullback, but I just admired their their toughness as well as Paul Lynch, really. And I mean, Paul Lynch was great because, again, you, you could look up to him because, again, you don't really have role models in my position that you can say, right, I'm going to look up to them um, as well as being a black guy as well. And he was, you know, England's first black captain. So, Again, I, I never really try and look at the racial side of things, but you have to have some role model who looks like you to, to aspire to, if that makes sense. So players like that were, were, were great for me. And, you know, I did a, I did a lot of research. I'd say reading as well was, uh, you know, really helped. But watching games, I think watching games is key to your learning as well. And it frustrates me when I, I coach these young kids and they say, I, I, I don't watch football or any professional footballer says, I don't watch football. It really frustrates me. I think, well, that's a free hit at learning something because you're looking at somebody in your position. When you said about toughness of players like Roy Keane, do you mean that from a mindset perspective or more from a from a playing perspective or both, I guess, as well? Both. I think his mindset was phenomenal. And I can remember having the discussion with Sean Driscoll, the Doncaster manager, when he was there. You know, he'd sit me down and say, you know, what, what sort of players do you aspire to? And I said, Roy Keane. And he laughed at me, but he got it because he understood that Roy Keane wasn't, 
you know, a, a player that was flamboyant. He did the job and he did it really well and it was effective, but he trained exceptionally hard to get where he was. So he kind of understood that as well. So, you know, each day and every day I'd be out training extra, doing extra bits. I'd ask my coaches to come out. I'd ask, I'd ask players to come out. But I remember in the youth team, it had just been me training there. And there was, what, 18, 17, 18 lads there. And the only one to earn their professional contract was myself um, and go on and, and, and have a career. So, you know, my mindset, again, it, it was different from growing up in a, in a luxurious background. It was, yeah, how to get food on the table, how to provide and and how to make something of yourself, really, yeah. Well, I think if you asked people about your playing style, many people might describe you as a tough tackling and, and combative midfielder. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment or do you think you've been pigeonholed to, to a degree? No, I mean, stuff like that doesn't concern me, really. As I said, I, I mean, I've just alluded to the fact that the area sort of I grew up in, it, it wasn't the nicest of places. So in my mind, if I had to scrap and fight and, you know, do anything to achieve that goal, then I, I was going to do it. So I could only play to my strengths. And in my head, especially when Mickey Adams was the manager of Port Vale, I said to myself, you know, I want to be that sort of Roy Keane of that league. Yeah, it was League Two. And I said, right, great. I want to try run around, tackle people and give it to the, the better players. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, you know, I, I had a, a really bad injury, which which sort of ended the career. And I can imagine it was from all them tackles and, and running around because I'd always try and give 100%. You know, I mean, fans that would say things about you in a negative aspect, they didn't really concern me, to be honest, because nobody really understood the background you was coming from. Nobody knew the reasons as to why you wanted to be a footballer. It wasn't a luxury for me. It wasn't a, a vanity at all. It was a, a case of survival. Even when you was playing football, it was survival. It was during your first spell at Port Vale when you represented Montserrat for the first time. Was that something you always had the aspiration to go on and do? Yeah, I mean, I did try England, but they turned me down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? You know, I, I, as I said, I, I really didn't have a lot to do with my dad. But knowing the background as to where he was from, it kind of worked out again in a weird way, strangely enough. Um, I went to Stafford Rangers on loan and I made a mate called Levi Reed, And I think he was on the sort of international scene playing at that level. So he was playing for Stafford Rangers, but also playing for Montserrat. And he mentioned it to me and I said, oh, OK, yeah, my dad's from there. So he put me onto the coach, you know, we got talking and then, you know, we went down. And I can remember in the Doncaster team, I was there, I was at Stafford on loan from Doncaster. And I was training with Bruce Dyer at the time. And if you can remember, Bruce Dyer was a really good player and represented England in the 21s as well. Mentioned it to him. He said, oh, OK, my family's from Montserrat. So we ended up going down to London because I think that's where predominantly the, the, the hub of players used to train and, you know, used to meet up there. I think they still do. So we went down together, had a little trial and said, OK, well, you know, we'll come and play and, and, and get some games in. And, you know, from there, it was it was um, just a dream. Yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing. I mean, the, the, the traction that you got from there was was incredible. Mickey Adams... <laughs> was pleased but wasn't pleased but yeah I mean the traction was great but as I said th there was no chance of getting your heads caught in the clouds getting carried away with it it was still a job you know I can remember being in Trinidad and Tobago 
and all the lads that are there playing non-league, where I was the only professional player playing because Bruce didn't come. All the lads are, you know, eating as much as they can, thinking it's a holiday. And I'm thinking, we've got a game, so make sure you're not stuffing yourselves too much and, you know, make sure you're actually doing something to take over. Maybe, maybe that's going on a walk or going for a little jog or something. And nobody was interested and I, I just ended up doing by myself. So, you know, it was great and it gave me the captaincy and I was really pleased. I was really proud that I managed to achieve that within my career. You mentioned how Mickey Adams, who was Port Vale manager at the time, was pleased but also not pleased. In League One and League Two, there are obviously no scheduled breaks for international fixtures like in the Premier League and the Championship. Is that the reason why? And is it quite difficult? to strike a balance between your international and club career? It is, yeah. It really is. I mean, I could understand his frustrations because, again, I would mention there's games coming up and he'd look at me and think, not again. But, yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm, 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 I'm pleased that I actually took the onus on that and I had to take a hit at times because you'd go, you'd come back, you'd miss two games and then you'd be out of the team for probably a month. And then there was no bad blood at all in terms of when you come back but I, I, I understood his frustrations and, and, and now being on the other side being a you know on the management side of things you know if, if a player did that I mean it's frustrating enough when a player goes away for us you know let alone because there's that potential of getting injured as well so I'm guessing that was in the back of his mind but Mickey's dealt with a lot of bigger players than me so you know I, I guess I was the least of his worries. Back to your club career, and in the summer of 2012, you made the move to Leighton Orient to play in League One. Was that a big decision to make, to move down to London? And, and as a player, what factors do you have to consider before making a move? Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was a dilemma because I think the club, uh, Port Vale, that is, was in our administration. The players hadn't been paid for three months. And I mean, I was enjoying my football like you wouldn't believe. And I mean, enjoying my football. <laughs> the, the move came about solely because there was an administration and we, we was in limbo, whether there was a takeover happening. But the exciting thing on the flip side of it was going down to London when the Olympics was on, living in London, seeing, you know, different sites. I had a sort of a youngish family then at the time. And, and you know, it was really nice to get down there and experience London. And, and yeah, you, you know, you, you just have to take this leap of faith sometimes and, and, and just go for things. But the, the, the best thing about that spell was just going away from Port Vale where it might have become, I'm not going to say too easy, but it become like a, the norm playing for Port Vale. So to take that time away, to go away, come back um, was great because, again, credit to Mickey Adams, getting a team promoted in our administration is, is, is absolutely incredible, really. So... Yeah, come back um, to Port Vale after that spell at, at Leighton Orient, which, which which was great. You know, I met some amazing people and, and I say different style of management with Russell Slade. But yeah, came back to Port Vale and, and ended up getting promoted to League One, uh, which was fantastic. And as you said, you returned later on in that season on loan to Port Vale and you got promoted from League Two to League One uh, when Port Vale finished third. That was the 2012 to 13 season. Was it like you were never kind of away from the club? Um, it was, yeah, to be honest. It was incredible to, to, to get the opportunity to come back. I mean, I just felt I needed to go and do that because in the back of my mind, I kind of knew I had this issue with my hip as well. So I thought, right, I've got to do it because I never know when this journey is going to end. I am pleased that I you know, went away and experienced London, experienced a different club. 
um, experience a different manager and, and a different culture as well. So it was it was it was a, a lesson, but also a, a great experience as well. Uh, but to come back and, and and play and get promoted was great. But then on the flip side of you know, as I said, this 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 injury with my hip was 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 a, was a big shock to the system really. So you know, after that. I think fans remember you for all the all the all the great things that you've done, um, and all the positive things that you've done. But then they, you know, you 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 can't pull the wool over supporters' eyes that are there every week and they watch the games. And and nor was I trying to, to be honest, because I didn't really get to the bottom of the issue for about two years after I came back to Port Vale to get in a sort of prognosis from 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 a doctor. But yeah, I mean, in my head, it was it was battle on and battle on and battle on. And at the age of what, 25, 26, you think, Jesus, is this going to be over? You know, is it is it over? But listen, I've had some absolutely amazing times playing football, yeah. You mentioned there about the hip injury, which would later go on to have a big impact on your playing career and ultimately your retirement later on. What was the issue with the hip and, and, and when did it start to have, have an impact on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to say on the return to Port Vale, it was sort of, I want to say, 50 to 70% okay. And then obviously made moves from there, went to Shrewsbury, Carlisle, and then and then obviously altering them as well. But in truth, in, in, in the back of your mind as a football player, you think, I can play, I can still play, I can still do it. But a player like myself has to be 100%, has to be 100%, especially if you're not, you know, amazingly great on the football that can, uh, can, can you know make these passes forward and, and retain the ball really well my job was to to win the ball back and give it to the better players and now if you're suffering a hip injury and you can't really get around the pitch it, it it's going to become you know obvious that you know you, you you you're struggling a little bit and like I said I'm not here to admit that you know you was pulling the wool over anybody's eyes it was just a process of in my head I can, I can still play but like I said earlier, you know, I, I don't want to get to a stage in my football career where I'm, I'm I'm playing and it's becoming embarrassing watching because, you know, that's not me. I'd rather just quit and, and give the little knowledge back that I've got to to the kids that are, are, are coming up through, um, whether it be a youth team, whether it be a junior side. So at that time, were you told that it could end your career at any point? And, and was the advice actually don't play? So the advice was to obviously not play and if you are going to play, then it'll be short-lived. It'll be short-lived and you're probably going to need a, a hit replacement at 26. So um, I think that was just the sheer volume of impact of the running, the tackles, the sort of commitment in training as well. And, you know, I didn't really take that into consideration how hard your body's actually working or overworking should I say and they were the details really that was given to me by a very high-end doctor that um that that works at um AC Milan actually he's an AC Milan doctor um, but used to come over to London every sort of Wednesday so he, he was quite thorough and he gave me the advice but in my head like I said I'm I'm, I'm a fighter that wants to fight for a future and I said I had a small family so you know I, I had to go out there and, and, and try to provide as well. Was there any doubt in your mind over whether you had made the right decision to carry on playing or were you determined no matter what you were going to carry on? Yeah um, absolutely um, I, I think I did get to the age of 26 and just decided to uh, look in alternative 
routes. I had a really, really, really <laughs> fast crash course in everything. I think I was doing everything at once. I was doing uh, my coaching badges. I was doing personal training. Just in case your career ended, let's say, tomorrow, you could actually go into another line of work. So, you know, footballers tend to have this um, this breakdown mentally when they finish football because they don't know what to do and they don't really have a lot behind them. But I definitely had a crash course in doing everything um, in the space of a year. So I did my B licence. Um, I did my level four strength and conditioning, personal training. And then, you know, from there, hence the Altrincham link. I was working in Hale Country Club where, you know, it is quite a, a, a nice place to work. And, you know, I, I managed to bump into a few celebrities and footballers and, and managed to, to work with them on a, on a, on a one-to-one level, which, which was fantastic. But again, that didn't really suffice the hunger for, you know, the football side of things, really. I ended up going to Altrincham, um, wasn't really playing and decided to jump on board with them to become their sort of fitness instructor, uh, trainer, whatever it was, and really enjoyed the club. In fact, still cherish the club. It was it was great to me. Uh, and I know there's some uh, negative comments that are, are there with, with Altrincham, but as I said, it, it, the facts are facts, you know what I mean? If a player is struggling and, and they've been told this advice, then you, uh, you, you just have to act on that, really. Going back to when you joined Port Vale permanently, again, this was at the end of your loan spell. You do obviously see some players who spend long periods of time at one club or do return to a club later in their career. Is there some clubs that are just the right fit for players? And what was it that you think made Port Vale the right fit for you? It was a mixture of a few things, really. A lot of factors came into play. Um, as I say, small family, based in Stoke as well. So it, 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 just, it just made sense. And... The manager was a talent factor as well, because I think he definitely got the best out of me through my career. And I think I'm a straight-laced person, black and white. Yes is yes, no is no. And I think that's how he sort of, he treated everybody, but everybody didn't really respond well to the way Mickey Adams sort of managed. Some people took it personal. I didn't. I just got on with it. Um, and I think that's why we had this sort of working relationship. He knew what I was, I knew what he was, and and, and, and that was it. Uh, we, we just got on from there, really. It was really sad when he gave me the news of not renewing a contract. But, as I said, I'm, I'm quite true to myself as well and, and, and understood the reasons as to why. Because football moves on really quickly. And if you're, you know, I say not 100%, and this day and age, you, you have to be an athlete to compete with other athletes and I say if you, you, you're struggling to get around the pitch then you know you, you, you can't shy away from that because you're, <laughs> you're in an arena where everybody can see that and you know and I say the manager's been around the block you can tell when something's not right so but you've got incredibly fond memories of your time at Port Vale I think it's over 200 games you played for them yeah yeah I mean it's a lot, a lot of games um, I say I don't think I missed many games at all so you know you've got to combine them games with training every day and I say training lightly because Mickey Adams liked to train really hard and there was nothing wrong with that but in the back of my mind I never really had a day off so I would come in with a youth team on a Wednesday and train with them just to make my game a little bit better as well and that wasn't just coming in for the sake of coming in and messing around with the youth team it was you know can I go out there and improve my game and it's an opportunity to go and train 
I don't really need the day off because, you know, I'm working on my fitness. I'm working on my ball skills. And, and, and yeah, I mean, the youth team manager was great as well. Paul Ede, he, he was a nice fella and let me come in and, and do some training as well. So, you know, as I said, I, it was almost like I could sense something was happening to my body, but I didn't really believe it. So I decided to just take every day as it come and just train the hardest I can be and try and be the best I can be. I remember dragging Sam Morsey out with me literally every day. I would have him out there every day. And some days, to be fair, he took, you know, he dragged me out there and would work on certain things. And I, I just knew in the back of my mind, whether it's me being better or it's him being better, great, fantastic. As long as we get to fill our potential, which I don't think I ever did, to be honest. But I am so pleased for Sam that he's, he's, he's gone on to achieve massive things in his, his career. It's, it's really pleasing. The summer you left Port Vale, this is interesting. I'm intrigued to hear about this because you joined Harrogate Town on the 22nd of August and on the 27th, you signed with Shrewsbury Town in League Two. What happened during what I imagine was a, a whirlwind few days? Um, yeah, I mean, I just had a keyhole surgery on my hip, I want to say a month, two months prior. And at the manager, Simon Harrogate, I knew him. Um, he said, come over, do some training see if you can fit a game in or whatnot. If a, if a league club comes in, I won't stand in your way. So I said, you know what, fair enough. There's, there's no harm in doing that. I could probably, you know, get home sometimes as well to Huddersfield. So I did that. And yeah, I mean, going to Shrewsbury again was one of the best things I did because, again, got to see how other management um, op- operated. And again, had some great times, met some fantastic people, who you know I'm still in contact with now, and I think one of the best sort of things that came from that was to just see the process of a team trying to win a title, trying to win the league, and how that looked and what it took. But the players that I've come across playing for them are fantastic. I mean, one plays for Rangers, I think is the captain. One's at Luton, and Liam Lawrence, obviously. Liam Lawrence is playing in the Premier League and whatnot, but it was it was amazing. I mean, the the the, the level of of players and competition that was there was absolutely fantastic, and, and it was great because again, I got in with a manager. He sort of took me under his wing for whatever reason. I don't know, but M- Mickey Mellon was 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 great for me. He had me out there training all the time with with Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson's at Burnley's, Vincent Company's number two, well, the number three now because of Craig Bellamy. So, you know, lots to learn. I mean, I remember when Mick was the manager of Tranmere, I rang him up to see if I could go in and, and, and just watch training and, and, and analyse what he's what he's doing there. And he was fantastic. He let him come in and have a little have a little watch. And he gave me some, some you know, some great advice. Um, I did m- mention that I was going into sort of the coaching role at, at, at Port Vale, and uh, he just gave me some 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 great advice, which you know you, you don't tend to forget. Really, you always kind of remember those those golden nuggets that you get in life, and that was one of them, really. So uh, great. You then had a spell at Carlisle United and helped them stay in the football league before joining Altrincham in the National League. This was 2015, and it was only a few months after that, at the age of 28, I think you were. At the time, you were forced to make that difficult decision that I guess you hoped you wouldn't have to make, and that was to announce your retirement. Just how difficult was it to make that decision to retire? And, and what were the following 12 months like for you? Because you did end up returning to the pitch. And this is my frustration with certain people that they won't understand, especially 
fans of Ultringham. They have given me a lot of stick for whatever reason, I don't know. But try having a hip replacement and then playing football again. It wasn't purposely done. I love football. I love the game. So for one, I didn't want to leave the game in that aspect in terms of the playing side of things. I'd say you're forced into it. But after understanding my body, after educating myself, going away, educating myself, understanding the body, understanding the human anatomy and how it works, that takes a lot to come back and play football. You know, as I said, having a hip replacement, some people don't even walk properly after a hip replacement. So to get stick was frustrating. But as I said, I don't really listen to outside noise. It was in my own head that I needed to focus and make sure I could actually go out there and and, and not <laughs> embarrass myself really and try and play when you know you really shouldn't be. So yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, I wanted to prove myself wrong um, in terms of can you go out there and play again? And, you know, I did it. I managed to to play. I managed to, you know, get player of the season, which was great. And then I, I did say to the manager and the uh, chairman at the time, I said, that, you know, that's it for me. I, I, I can't play anymore. And, I, and I, it's not that I don't want to play. It's the fact of I know where this goes. I know where it ends. So, yeah, I decided to hang up my boots and, 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 and that was it. At that time, what kind of work did you have to do to be able to get back onto the pitch? It was a long process of rehab, a long, long process of rehab. And as I said, I, I think the benefits to being in that position where you've had a, a major operation, but it's the knowledge that really helped me. It was the knowledge and the fact that I worked in the gym was great because you got to do your rehab whilst you was working. So it was great, you know, and working with some 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 mega stars in a gym where they're you know top athletes having the opportunity to work with them and seeing how their bodies function under the stresses and strains of everyday training I thought you know what why not and to be honest and this sounds really weird but you know players like Andy Murray have really been an inspiration as well to know that you know you can go through situations like that and come out the other side and, and still give it a go you know, but, you know, fortunately for Andy, he's in uh, a lot more money than me. <laughs> Fitness seems to have always been a key thing for you. And Congleton Town always seem to be a team with good fitness levels. And maybe that's one of the reasons why they do tend to finish games strongly. Is that fitness side something you've tried to bring to Congleton Town as well? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's, you know, solely down to me at all. You know, the players, I think the biggest thing, and the biggest compliment I can give the players is they've actually listened to the manager um, and myself in terms of the mindset side of things um, and your application, how you apply yourself in training and the standards we want to try and set and to get them to reach. I mean, you know, that, that, that was the biggest thing. And I always talk about the psychology um, side of football. Um, or any sport really, if you don't have that mindset and going back to the whole Roy Keane thing, if you don't have that mindset, then, you know, you're not really setting yourself stable foundations of, I want to go out there and achieve X, Y, and Z. Um, and I'll give you an example of a player that plays for us now. And, it, you know, he'll probably be embarrassed to me mentioning his name, but George, every single week, I tell him every single week that he's going to score a goal because I believe, I believe that he's going to score a goal every single game. Um, and they're the sort of little bits, you know, fans don't see or they don't really get, you know, but he's trying, he really does. He tries, 
his heart out. Um, and these kind of players, along with other players that are in the side, you, you, you want them to go on and achieve certain things. You want to have a success story from Congleton um, that younger players, you know, we have mascots at the game now who look up to these players. They're their role models now. You know, that's never been done before since I've been here. In those six years, it's never been done before. So the club are striving and and and, and moving in a in a different direction, which which is fantastic for the town itself. So let's go back six years ago this month to when you first joined Congleton Town. Before then, you did have spells at Glossop North End, Trafford and Colwyn Bay. So how did the move first come about to Congleton? And you mentioned Chris Rowley, who is the director of senior football, was quite influential in that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, you know, Chris, I think, I think called me up and we sat down at a meeting and he, and he just outlined the club's sort of direction and where they wanted to go. And to be honest, to his word, you know, it's materialised, the majority of it's materialised in terms of where the club wanted to go, the direction we want to go with the junior side. We ended up setting up a sort of a soccer school, which was a football camp for kids, which was great. It was fun. And it just sort of brought that hunger back for me in terms of football because there was a period when I did fall out of love with football and that was probably after Walsingham and for no reason of my own. As I said, it was an injury. But yeah, I think Chris really did help in terms of bringing that back, really. Um, and, 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 and I'm glad he did because without that phone call, then I probably would have just been focusing on something else, which is a bit of a shame, really, because I said there's a lot to to give back to certain players, to certain certain individuals and, and groups and whatnot. So uh, I'm glad he did make that call. When you say you would focus on something else, is that outside of football? It could have been anything, really, yeah. I mean, it could have been, you know, personal training, but I probably would have been at some sort of academy. As I said, I was at Port Vale at the time, coaching um, under 12s. So I was coaching Solomon Ashworth, who's plays for us now, which is which is quite incredible. Um, under 12s and 13s, under 14s, and yeah, I mean that process was was fantastic as well. Go, going and and coaching a club that you've had some success with was um, actually, you know, a, a a real a cornerstone in 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 my life really. Uh, going back and 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 giving back and actually getting paid to do something that you love. You mentioned there your roles within the Port Vale Academy, which also included time as their development phase coach, I think the the title was. We've heard on the podcast from numerous players about the the step up to men's football. Is that something you had a key role in at Port Vale? And how do you manage that to try and make that transition easier? Yeah, I mean, I had the luxury of working with uh, a particular player that, that that actually made it all the way through to the first team, James Plant. So again, when I went to Port Vale at under 12, well, working with the age groups of t- under 12s, 13s, 14s, I watched James' progression right from under 12s right up into the first team. So, I mean, that's a story I will uh, I'll, I'll hold dear to you know my heart really because you could just see from the age of 12 this player is going to be a fantastic player, and I really do hope he goes on because his attitude off the field is as is, is as good as his on field play. Fantastic little player. Um, but yeah, I'd say the process, I mean, that is a rare occasion, I think, uh, within that journey of watching players come through the ranks. You know, to, to see them actually strive in the first team, it's probably a rare occasion. But I, I, I was, you know, lucky enough to, to witness that. 
as I said, right from under 12s to, to, to getting in the first team. And there's been others, uh, Reese Walters um, has, has done that as well. So, you know, really pleased for those players, really pleased for those players. But I think there can be sort of a process where we do have sort of a safety net for these players who, who, who do drop out of the game. You know, a few have come down to Congleton, which is really pleasing because, again, I, I know some of these players from, from that age group, that core age group of 12s, watched them up until they were 16 and then they got released, which is, which again, that's a journey. It's a process. It happens. But if there is a safety net where we can say, right, okay, well, they're not quite good at that level or they're not quite good enough yet at that level, then we can build them up with, let's say, a Congleton. And then they can, I don't know, they can maybe go to a league because I think the league managers, um, you know, got some influential power at um, Port Vale as well. So, you know, there, there's lots of processes. And I say, we're just, we're just helpers at the end of the day. You know, you can have these titles and, and, and these egos in the game, but you are just a helper as a parent, as a coach, as a manager. You're just a helper. You, you're here to help these, these kids. You know, if they can go on and become something successful, then fantastic. I think your job's, I think your job's done as a, as a, as a human being. Nobody knows why they've been put on the planet, but I think me personally, I know that I've been put here to, to, to help people. Something that has struck me from our conversation so far and also from the interviews I've read during your career is, one, you absolutely love football, but two, you're always trying to advance and widen your knowledge. Even when you were going through challenging moments in your career, you didn't just sit back and do nothing. You, you did courses, you read up about the game. Why was it's so important to you and I guess still still is so important to you yeah I mean I always see life as a, as, a, as, a, as a tree really and if you look at a tree you know it's not just literally one branch straight up you know there are many different branches and I think that's how any organization operates especially the football world as well I mean you look at some former players that have played at a high level and they're now I want to say still part of football but not on the coaching side, there might be a fitness instructor, there might be a fitness trainer, or there might be a physio, but just still within the game. And like I said, I love football that much. I, I, I want to be part of it. And I've had this opportunity to, to come back to Congleton to to help coach kids and, and, and help the first team as well. And it, it's been a real boost, especially for your, your sort of energy as well. Um, it's, a, it's a real boost. I don't really get carried away with all the hype and talk about Congleton at the minute, where we're going, process. I mean, I speak to Duff's near enough every day and I think I must annoy him every day or his missus because I'm always talking about the future. I'm always talking about, well, next year, what about this? What about this? What about that? I'm always asking questions and probing because I think if you don't and you just sit back and, and, and lap up the success that you're having now, that can soon turn around and become bitter. And as I said, you don't get that sort of insight and knowledge unless you read. Unless you read, I mean, Alex Ferguson's book for me is one of the best books I've read. And I haven't just read it once, I've read it over and over again because there's so many bits of gold dust that you can get out of that book that he's done, the most successful manager in the, you know, the English game or the game itself. You'd be silly not to read that book. As I say, I never, you know, and I'll go, as far as saying I don't want to be a manager at all, I really don't. And I think that's where me and Duffs and how we how we sort of how we get on and we click. I mean, that's again fortunate enough that I played for Port Vale when when Duffs played. And I don't think as a, as a football player you ever think, oh yeah, I want to be a manager. But 
it's the friendships you and connections you make with people as well. I think Duff's for me is 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 really incredible. He's very detailed in terms of what he wants, and he's got all the characteristics to go on and be a, a, a fantastic manager. He really has. But like I said, it's it's about the people you have around you as well. And I think football is one of those industries that is very short-lived, but it's also not very trustworthy as well. There are a lot of people that you can't trust. So for him to have somebody by his side that isn't trying to take the limelight and trying to be a manager himself and get him out the door, I think that's gold dust in itself. So long as we got established roles, which we have, and, and, and it works, it really does work. No sort of overshadowing or undermining. As I said, we speak every day, so we're, we're quite clear on the direction and, and directive we want to try and want to try and move in. When you say you don't want to be a manager, why is that? Um, I think my qualities are best served somewhere else, and that's in the coaching department. And you can't be the way I am in terms of I want to be close to players, I want to tell players how to go about their game, and that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy that a manager might not have because he's got to focus on picking a side, focusing on um, selecting players, maybe bringing players in, maybe telling players that they got to leave. You know, th- there's a lot to being a manager that people won't really realise. But there's also a lot to a coaching side as well. And I really adore the coaching side. I really adore the coaching role. And to be brutally honest, I don't like that pressure of being a manager. But I am... A shoulder that you can sort of are confident that you can speak to and, and 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 get advice from as well. Your first few years at Congleton were as a player. How does non-league compare to playing in the football league? I know you played at a few non-league clubs before you did join Congleton, but were you surprised at the level at all? And how does that compare to, to the football league as a player? Yeah, I mean to be honest, you know, you've seen players go from non-league and play in the league and there are some 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 gems. I think what was an eye-opener for me was the actual standard of, of the players. There were certain individuals that played for, you know, our side and, and played for the opposition that I thought, wow, you know, you could literally go on and go into the league and, and, and you know, kick on here. There were some outstanding players and there still are some outstanding players. But again, I think the league that we're in now, I think a lot of players have been released and, and you know, obviously, oh, they might be coming down down the leagues, but for younger players that are are on the on the up, I, I do hope and pray that they do have managers that do give them time, that they understand that it's a process for these young players, it's a learning tool, and that they do vouch for them in terms of their journey, their journey to you know onwards and upwards. Because I think that's mine and Duff's remit. Because Duff's has obviously worked in Portwell Academy as well. I brought him alongside me when Billy Painter went with the first team. So Dust came to the to, with the 18s and just seeing how the process works, really. And, you know, it, it is an eye-opener. It really is an eye-opener. So, uh, you know, these younger players, they just need time. They just need an arm around them. Um, there's uh, some guidance. And it's not always beating with a stick. You know, you need a carrot sometimes. Over 100 appearances for the Bears. What were some of your most memorable games as a player for Congleton? Are there any that stand out? And we actually had the Wrench family on the podcast last week and they were telling us about the Whitchurch Oldport game. That's my memory. That's my memory. The Whitchurch game, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bittersweet memory because I was dismissed. Uh, I think it was just after half time. 
I mean, a lot went on in that game. A lot went on in that game. But to come out victorious after being down 2-0, I believe, and we had nine men on the pitch, um, and to win the game was fantastic, yeah. So that's 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 definitely a high. That's as a player. Now, as a coach, last year's amazing achievements are still in the back of my mind. I think the whole of last year as a, as a, as a, as a coach was just fantastic. The cup run... The finish within the league wasn't really flattering, but again, the, the, the cut run, the sort of fan base we built up off that cut run has just been fantastic. Each week ago, and I'm, I'm just amazed how many fans are there. Really, really amazed, and and, and I'm and I'm hoping that it continues because, as I say, we're doing okay in the league now. But as I said, always forward thinking, always forward thinking. Next year will be a big year, but we've just got to keep on. You know, churning out results, churning out performances. And I think within this 18 months that we've been part of the management staff, it literally has taken that long to get a philosophy, an ethos, a structure on the playing side of things. But within getting that structure on the playing side of things, we've also dealt with a lot off the field as well. Getting things in place off the field between the chairman, Chris, and myself and Duffs has been really, really important and key to having success on the pitch. And those cup finals, the big games that Congleton played in, in last season, are those the games when you're standing on the touchline? Are you wishing that you were out there playing in them? I don't think I could have played in those games. I mean, not within that midfield. Jesus, we had some fantastic... Well, we still have got some fantastic players, but listen, as I said, that side of it's completely gone. The playing side of it's completely gone. I, I'm just focused on how we can help these young lads um be successful, yeah. On the pitch, you know, off the pitch, we're 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 coaching um, the lads as well how to, you know, conduct yourself um, off the pitch because you know lads when they when they have nights out or they're getting carried away with themselves after a win or a goal, you know, that there, there is a level of um, conduct and manner that you need to have as well because, um, as I said, football is one of those um, industries where. I think 10% of your journeys is success. You know, the rest is going to be heartache, hard work, losses, upsets, near misses. So that 10%, great, you know, go out there and enjoy it. But make sure you know that there is, you know, another another sort of 90% that are going to be difficult. So be prepared for that. What do you see your role as assistant manager as being? It's been a bit strange this year, to be honest, because as I say, last year was enjoyable. I was there all the time. This year, at the start of the year, I decided to take a job which uh, didn't allow me to do the training in the evenings and some Tuesday night games as well. So it was it, it was really, really difficult and getting a little bit tedious and frustrating, to be honest, because I said, I do love football. And again, Congleton, love it, you know, absolutely love it. And, and, it, and it was really frustrating when I wasn't there. But, you know, credit to Duffs, he's just gone out there and just got on with it. And he hasn't moaned to my face anyway, but he's probably done it behind my back. But no, it was incredible. As I said, I think we was on the phone constantly watching the games that the, the lads have played, giving feedback on those games where we can improve here, there. But yeah, I mean, I'm back now and really getting stuck into it, really enjoying it. The flip side to that is um, the performance have gone downhill since I've come back. So, <laughs> but no, enjoying it. What do you think is the key 
to a successful manager and assistant manager partnership and actually your partnership with Richard Duffy? I think obviously the history helps playing together. I think the key is that coaching role at Port Vale. I think the key is that coaching role at Port Vale because we've both been in that situation of working with younger players. And I think we do have the same sort of ethos and mindset and understanding of the game as well. It doesn't work if you've got a manager who thinks one way and you think the other. You both need to be singing off the same, you know, hymn sheet. Um, and I think we do. And as I said, it it helps when you've got that off-the-field relationship as well. I say we don't tend to go, you know, a day without speaking to each other because I think that, that, that that's definitely key because you need to be in the loop dealing with players, dealing with issues at the club, off the field, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that, that, that's definitely the key, um, just having a, having a relationship um, that's built up over time. And we've seen it a few times now when Richard Duffy is playing. You're the main voice on the touchline. I know you do communicate on the pitch, but do you have to think about what would Richard do in this situation? Or do you kind of speak beforehand about a plan and then, or then do you have the freedom kind of after that? We have the freedom because I said we sing off the same hymn sheet, really. And I think we've been through that many games together that we sort of know when and where, when and where to make the subs, when and where to give direction. But yeah, I do have that in the back of my mind. Would he want this? Would he want that? But sometimes in football, you just have to be off the cuff and just think for yourself. You you know, you, you do understand the game. You are watching the same game. So where a little bit of editing might be needed in a certain area, then you go out there and, 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 and make the change. I remember there was one game, there was one game, I didn't do that, and that was Isla Man away. I wanted to make a sub, and I asked Duff, and he said no, and we definitely should have done it because we ended up losing the game. And that was it. I think that was a turning point for me as well in terms of when I do get that opportunity to be in that situation again, you just have to do what you see is right. Because when Duff's is playing, it's hard for him to see everything and and what's happening. So, you know, you do have that responsibility. You've got the hat for that day, or you've got the hat for that level of time that, that Richard's playing. Um, and, you know, you, you, you don't go silly with it and, and do silly things. And I think, you know, the trust is there to, to, to make decisions because if it wasn't, then you wouldn't be in that position, yeah. How has the club changed and developed in the six years you've been at the club? I think the merger's been great um, in terms of the juniors. Um, that's been good. I think there's been a changeover at the top with the chairman. Again, I don't think there's ever been that much dialogue between a chairman and, and, and the manager, and assistant manager and, and director. So we do have a lot of that, which, which really, really helps. Um, and it really helps. And not, you know, saying anything about the, the, the previous uh, ownership. But there, there has been a lot of dialogue, a lot, of, a lot of trust as well. But yeah, I think that merge has helped and that everything's coming together because it is only a small town at the end of the day. And I think, as I said, it, it's striving in the right direction. And I think between us all, uh, we're, we're all trying to pull in the right direction. We, you know, the, I think the media side of things has been fantastic and that's credit to, to Adam, who was at, you know, Mind, Body and Soul. He, he's been absolutely fantastic. And it's not, it's not as if you're a one-man band. He does so many things off the pitch. He does the shirts on a match day, he does the media, 
he, you know, he does the, the social side of things, the social media side of things. Um, and he's trying to run his own business as well. So there's, there's people like that, you know, you've got to give credit for. And, and I don't think the club would be where it is without the volunteers that we have. Um, you know, you've got your Pete's and the Marlene's who come along and they do the kit. And I'm sure they do a lot more as well. And she'll probably tell me off the next time I see her. But there's so many people. You've got the fellow who does the, the pitch, you know, people like that. I mean, we, we had a, a wet day, I think it was two weeks ago and everybody thought, oh, the game's going to be off. And we went down to the pitch and it was absolutely immaculate. Absolutely immaculate. And that was credit to him um, and his hard work. Uh, not just on the day, obviously, but you're going to say it's a process over time where he, that pitch now is, is is solid and it's it's really well kept. And I don't think, within my playing time anyway, the pitch wasn't that great, but there's a massive change in that as well. So it's about the infrastructure, you know, the infrastructure behind the scenes, um, you know, we're doing our bit with the players, but there's a hell of a lot of people behind the scenes and that's credit to them. And I'd say the club wouldn't be able to function as we want it to if we didn't have those people in place. And I guess that's something that you're particularly passionate about is the pathway that's now in place after the merger. I'll quite often stand by the dugout and most games there are members of the junior teams who will come up and say hi to you. That must be something that you must be very proud of to see that connection that you and the club has with hopefully the next generation of, of Bears players. Absolutely. I mean, even when we're training and we, we'll, we'll be there 10, 15 minutes earlier, we go and we we, we will watch the little kids play and they're, they're scoring goals, they're tackling, they're passing. And it's great to see. It's, it really is great to watch. And, and and I've been fortunate enough to go down and and, and do some coaching with with the groups, all age groups, girls, boys, um, right right through the, the junior setup. I've, I've done coaching and I've really, really gone out there and enjoyed it. And I, like I said, I'm only down the road. So I just think, you know, why not? On a night where you can give an hour of your time, why not? So, you know, as I said, it's, it's been a joy. It's been a joy to be able to, um, you know, go out there and, and help others. And we've seen that pathway already. The prime example is Tom Allen, the way that he stepped up to the first team recently. There are other players as well, including Sam Baldwin. That must be fantastic to see and be a huge inspiration for the juniors coming through. Absolutely. As I said, it's all about role models and, and who you aspire to, to to be and what you aspire to be. And if a player like a Tom Allen, which for me is one of the best people to come out of the, the, the junior setup of that age. Um, I know Sam's there as well and he's a fantastic player. Tom, because he plays in a position that I'm, you know, accustomed to, he's great. I mean, if I had his ability, you know, at that age... Um, you know, I, I'd have gone on and, and, and done great things. But I think for players like that, it, it's a joy for us to coach and work with because these are humble kids and they want to strive and they want to go on. And it's our job to help. It's our job to help not only on the field, it's off the field stuff as well. And developing young talent is obviously something you're incredibly passionate about. You set up A1 Academy alongside Richard Duffy. What is it and why did you think it was important to set something like this up in the local area? Yeah, I mean, it's really simplistic. I mean, again, it was just a fact of can we go out there and help these kids um, become better players, become better people? Um, and the answer is yes. I mean, we had the opportunity to go and do it. As I said, I've kind of been out on, 
not being able to really focus on that side of things because having a baby, I went into panic mode and decided to get a new job and, and made sure we had enough money coming in. So, um, you know, that, 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 that'll be coming back. A1 will be coming back and, and we'll be looking to do some, some camps and, and work with individuals and try and make them become better players and try and make sure they get onto that Congleton pitch when they're a little bit older. If we can go back to the very start of our conversation when you mentioned about when you were trying to get that break into professional football and you met Brian at the train station. Do you think it's his influence and the background that you've spoken about? Do you think that's had an impact on, on you and the coaching role you now have and the way that you want to bring through and nurture talent to the point where you're perhaps now being that Brian figure to some extent? Do you think your own experiences have had an influence and an impact on you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have this debate all the time about uh, nurture versus nature. And, you know, some people are really skillful and they've got all the attributes and they go on to be great players. But some people do need, you know, nurturing through and a bit of guidance, sometimes an arm around them, because it's not easy. I'm telling you, football is not an easy thing, because just imagine you're a footballer, I don't know, you turn 11 and you're losing games every week. You're not going to be very interested time you come 12. So it's about those coaches understanding that it's a process and, and losing games is a process as well. And I got taught that quite early. And, you know, I, I'd say I was quite fortunate and, and, and a look along the way to what you need. And I certainly had that meeting Brian. Um, and yes, his influence uh, certainly rubbed off on me. And I want to try and implement that in, in the way I coach, the way I speak to people as well. That's definitely at the forefront of uh, helping players. The way you communicate is very, very key. It's very key. The way you communicate, the way you guide people, the way you, you help people and nurture people through is, is, is really key. And I say I had the opportunity to work in a school, which was really helpful to me as well, because again, it got given me the opportunity to work with kids who didn't really um, cope well within the mainstream schools. Um, so they came to a, a specialised school and it gave me the opportunity to further my skill set in communication. You know, it's, it's one thing in being a coach and telling them to run there or to pass it there. But having that skill set in communicating with kids is another field. So all these little bits you're adding onto your, your bow is, is, has been fantastic. What's your biggest piece of advice you would give to a junior player? Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask your coaches. Your coaches will give you as much knowledge of the game as they can. But if you're not sure on something and you want to know something, then just ask. I mean, it's going to be difficult moving forward with this whole societal phones, laptops, computers. Kids don't want to talk anymore. So... If you are striving to be a footballer and, and and you want to aspire to be, you know, a professional, then go out there and ask questions because you're not going to know otherwise. You've been part of successful teams in the past. What is it that has helped the team follow the success from last season with a strong start to this season? I think visually seeing what can be achieved. If you just work hard, listen, read last year. You know, if you do do those things, those little intricate details that the manager's giving you, it can be achieved. It really can be achieved. So I don't think there's any sort of limitations to where the team can go or where the club can go, for that matter of fact. It's a weird one for, for myself and Dux because we understand the sort of standards we set for ourselves and 
I can recall sitting down and having the meeting with, you know, after the, the heights of last year, you know, after all that had died down and, and, and the dust had settled, there were some serious meetings to be had in terms of, especially because we changed leagues, what do we want to try and achieve? What are our goals? Um, and we sort of set them out and, and, and laid them down for, you know, the chairman to have a look at and go away and come back and say, well, okay, are they realistic? Are they, are they achievable? And, and they are, and we don't sort of set targets and, and, and unrealistic goals for players either, to be honest. We, we, we set ourselves goals that are achievable, but in the midst of that, keeping the standards really high, because if, if, if you don't keep your standards, standards high and, you know, keep your sort of house in order, it can come crashing down pretty quickly. So, you know, there isn't a sort of a, a day we let the players off and let them go and, you know, just just, just, just go and be free. And they are sort of they're trained to a certain standards on a, on a, on a match day when they're doing the, the, the warm-ups. It's, it's all done within a, within a time frame, within a structure and with, within a standard that we believe will get you up for a game, will get you into the game very fast. And, it, and if you don't have those things, then it doesn't work. It doesn't work as effectively as it should. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it is paying off for now. Something that keeps coming up and is often said this season is that Congleton keep finding a way to win. And you can say that about last Saturday's game too. And it might seem like a strange question to kind of ask, but how does a team just seem to be able to find a way to win? Well, to be honest, if you take it back to the sort of Alex Ferguson book, and if you remember in the in the nineties, and they called it Fergie time, and I don't really want to put us in the same ilk as that, but that was if you strip it back, just finding a way to win, and that's not as you know throwing a centre half up, up top and, and launching the ball. It's keep going with the same process, keep going, keep going, keep building and building and building and trying to break teams down, and I think. Saturday was a prime example. Really good team. Afton set themselves up really well. Haven't lost um, many games since we played them at their place. And we always thought that would be a really tricky game for us. Now, structurally, they were good. Um, really good. But I think we and our standards wasn't where they quite needed to be. Um, so at halftime, we went in, um, said what needed to be said, which you know doesn't get disclosed. And we came out with a different sort of drive and mindset. But it was the same message you was relaying, but in a different format. So it, it wasn't anything different. It isn't sort of the miracle grow that you're spreading on the players and it, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's having to work extra hard. It's the same message, the same philosophy, the same ethos, but just raising your standards that little bit extra. Because, you know, there will be games this year where we face teams that are going to sit in and make it really difficult. And you are going to have to find a way each and every time to try and break a team down because everybody looks at Man City and think it's, you know, they're an incredible side, which they are. But each week must be so different because you're coming up against a team where you know they're going to be in a block, a deep block, a mid block, whatever it may be. And you're going to have to break that down. You're going to have to come up with answers or solutions to, you know, to, <laughs> to their questions and their questions. And, and normally, you know, they want to defend you. Some teams might be brave and they want to come out and attack you great because that's going to leave a space. Um, so, again, each week's really, really difficult. And that's testament to the manager, again, who goes away, he does his research. He's very, very detailed in terms of what he wants from his players, 
how the opposition are going to set up. So again, you know, fans may think, oh, well, we're playing really poorly today or this isn't working for us. Yeah, that's because the opposition have probably studied you, worked you out. And um, so we have to come up with different solutions. So, yeah, I mean, players are, are, are being fantastic and they've been really receptive to what we're asking them. And we're always pulling and probing and asking different things of the players. Um, and I guess it can be frustrating, frustrating for, especially for the younger players, because they're thinking, Jesus, you've just asked me to do this. Now you want me to do this. So, yeah, we're always we're always trying to find a solution how to win games. And if you're not winning games, then, you know, try not to lose them. What is it that you've enjoyed most about your six years at Congleton Town? I think going from the transition of playing to the coaching side of things and seeing it come off. So if you set an ethos and a philosophy up at the start of the last campaign, so last season's at the start of last season, and said, right, we're going to do X, Y and Z in pre-season. We want our... I don't know, right back to do this. So I want our centre mid- midfielders to do that. And players thinking, Jesus Christ, he's asking me to do this. I've never done this before in my life. But you're only starting to see the benefits of that process now has been fantastic. Uh, it's been really fantastic to to see. And you're getting more young players to come on board and they're getting it, they're getting it and they're getting it and they're getting it. But the one thing I would like to see, and it's going to take a, you know, it's going to take a bit of time, but is that process to be filtered down to the other age groups as well? So you've got, you know, the reserve side that are doing really, really well. And we're reaping the benefits of those younger players in the, in the reserves coming up and understanding what we're trying to do in the first team because it's being replicated in the reserves. So that needs to be trickled down now, which is difficult because we're not a, an academy, if you like. It's a junior side. But if they have the same ethos, then it's going to just help them become better players as they go up. But we're still yet to have those conversations uh, with, with, with the other coaches. But like I said, I've been there in the, in the junior side and, and spoke to different managers and seen different players. So, you know, it's, it's, it's achievable, but it's, it's a long process. A Congleton fan put on the supporters' Facebook page a few days ago a Port Vale team sheet from November 2013, I think it was. And in the starting lineup was you, Richard Duffy, Carl Dickinson and Tom Pope. And you can obviously also add in Gary Roberts to, to that too, as he also played at Port Vale. Did you ever imagine that you would all end up playing for Congleton at some stage? No, no, not at all. Um, and, and and to name those players, uh, you know, there's some fantastic players there. But at the end of the day, everybody's career has come to a close at some stage. I'm just happy that I'm in a position to offer that orange branch to players that are coming out of the game. Because as I said, psychologically, when you've been a player and you've been adored by fans and, and you've been in a big stadium where they're screaming your name, that can have a massive psychological impact when that's all being taken away. So to be in a position where you can offer um, a player that's been playing at a certain level, at a good standard, um, the opportunity to play, because that's all Chris did to me, giving the opportunity and I kindly taken it. And I did think about that the other day. I thought, well, what would have happened if I said no and I didn't play at Congleton? Would that door have been open for the likes of all these players that have come to Congleton? Would it have been there? So, yeah, you know, it, it's been an interesting journey. And ultimately, I guess the experience that they bring, like yourself, has an impact on the younger players. It does massively, yeah. I think, I think 
in years to come, we will see the impact of that because, as I said, I think we're just going to keep on attracting more and more younger players that can come down, that can join the junior setup, that can join the reserves, that can come into the first team. So it's only a positive, you know, as I said, we're just going to keep striving and keep working with the club and, and, and see where we end up. You've achieved so much on and off the pitch, but you've also faced your fair share of challenges too. But looking back now, if we go full circle, how do you reflect on your career as a player and also as a coach? I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, so I believe in certain things and I think things happen for a reason. And I think me achieving what I achieved in that small window of time has allowed me to be the person I am today. You know, very, very humble, very calm, because as a, as a teen, I was very, you know, pent up with frustration, anger. And a lot of that's to do with, you know, not having your parents at games, not having your parents at presentation and, and seeing everybody else's parents there. So, again, that does beat you up inside. It does eat you up inside. And again, a lot of people are not privy to that. But listen, I took my journey for what it is and I'm pleased to be in a position to help people and give something back. And I must say as well, your family seem a big supporters of you, but also the, the, the football club as well. They're always down there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a blessing, really. Very supportive. Got friends down there now. So, you know, I say family, kids, missus has, has, has been great. It's, it's, been, it's been something I've never really had, if that makes sense. So uh, I, I do value it. Very final question now. If you could play alongside any player in world football, who would you pick and why? Ooh, good question. Good question. Well, I am a Chelsea fan and I just love this player. And again, read his book. I'd love to have played with Frank Lampard because I think his story and his background, I think his dad is amazing. What he's achieved is just something beyond incredible for a player. And people won't realise the amount of stick he's had to overcome to just be a footballer, not, you know, the son of a former footballer, the son of a former West Ham manager or assistant manager. He's had a really turbulent up and down career. But if I was to play with one player, then, yeah, it would be Frank Lampard. Brilliant. Well, Griff, thank you so much for your time this evening and going all the way back through for the years in your career. It's been absolutely yeah. fascinating. So thank you very much for joining us on the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. Fantastic. Thank you, Adam. Cheers, mate. Thanks again to Anthony Griffith for such an open and honest chat. This Saturday, it's another big game for the Bears, this time away at second place Highgate United. Safe travels to all the Bears fans making the journey down to Highgate, including those of you travelling on the supporters' coach. The ladies' first team will be wanting to avenge their 3-2 defeat to Runcorn Sports from last Sunday, when they faced the same opposition away this weekend. The ladies' reserves team have had a few weeks without a game due to postponements, so they'll be hoping their game at Newton the Willows beats the weather on Sunday. Come on the Bears and thank you for listening to the Congleton Town Football Club Podcast.